Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of going hither and yon and every once in a while actually accomplishing something. Squirrel. What? <laughs> Squirrel! <laughs> uh, this week we are talking about tangents, side quests, and backstories. So this other day I was... Oh, I'm sorry, Bruce. Go ahead. <laughs> That reminds me. Uh, <laughs> and we're running, folks. He already said right. what time of night it's going to be. <laughs> right. So uh, what we're talking about is all the things that, that diverge us from the main quest line of whatever story it is that you're running. And, you know, what are, uh, what are the good things and what are the bad things about that sort of thing? And so the first thing we're going to talk about are tangents. Now, I'm the one who basically came up with this topic, so they're going to be my definitions, guys. You're welcome to say, well, I think it should be this, but I, I think we're going to try to follow along with, with, with my definition. So the first one is a tangent. So there you are, standing at the top of the stairs into the arch-liches subterranean necropolis. And uh, around you, you see uh, it is a bright spring day, but with ominous clouds in the distance. And in the distance, there's a giant, uh, a huge mountain from your youth, circling it as a dragon. And everyone says, ooh, let's go kill the dragon. Okay. Right? That's a tangent. That's where something triggers, some event triggers, some desire to do something triggers as part of going along the main story, but it really has nothing to do with the main story at all. And it's always triggered by the PC himself. So, for example, is if you've always wanted to get your hands on that dragon scale armor, you don't need it for your quest, but doggone it, you always wanted to kill that red dragon. I've been playing D&D for 20 years, and I've never killed an ancient red dragon. There's one right over there. I can see it. Forget the main quest. We're going to go kill ourselves a dragon. Right. That is a tangent. Yeah. Um, now, Bruce, there is, uh, I would imagine, and we, we'll, we could talk about this after we finish this topic or near the end of this topic, uh, there is a type of DM or Game Master induced tangent. And I like to call, well, we like to call that the red herring. So that can be a tangent that is caused by the Game Master, but is, is, is you know, is followed through or led by the PCs but it's hardly their fault sometimes. Well, that was one of the things I was wondering if you guys were going to let me get that out, saying it's only PC-generated, because, you know, when I said that, I said, I'm just waiting to see if someone's going to come up with an <laughs> objection to that. I would say from basing your description, it was GM-generated. You put a dragon around that mountain. I mean, by doing, by doing that, you've actually given the squirrel to the dogs. Right. 
That's true, but but the GM in, 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 uh, might have just been thinking he was giving flavor text. He was he was just trying to create a more dramatic description of the moment. You know, he wasn't actually trying to get them to drop, you know, <laughs> the main quest and go off and do something. But they're like, yeah, let's go. If you put a dragon in as background scenery. 99% of all players are going to react in some way. Some are going to go, <laughs> forget this hippie noise. We're doing a big detour. And there's going to be that one joker that's like, hey, cool, let's get, you know, the guy you, hey, I want to kill a red dragon. Most people will be like, excuse me, you are going to do what on your own? What? <laughs> yeah, I think it yeah. comes from painting a too rich a tapestry because you, you can see the description even further. So there you are, standing on top of the veil, looking across the Valley of the Lich. You see various towns of orcs and other sub-beings. You see uh, you see uh, farms over there where they're busy growing crops. You see, you start getting these massive descriptions and they're going, ooh, target-rich environment. We'll go over there first. Yeah, or and and in the distance you see the people, the sleighs being led up to the brewery. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, the words are triggers. It's, you know, you can always tell that when you're heading off with a tangent is when someone repeats the word and then proceeds <laughs> to go and start doing something. Taking it to the uh, to TriTac products, you know, say for Fringeworthy, if you're on a platform and you're on a mission and the, and, you know, the game master has put the, together this big mission, you can tell he's giving you handouts and everything else. As you're going down the pathway, he says, oh, uh, by the way, you, you, as, you're, you know, as you're crossing one of, these, uh, one of the platforms, you see what looks like, looks like a Tremelon go through one of the portals. That's it. You've done red herring yourself because if you didn't intend them to go through that, you should have never said the T word. Right. It, it also happens when you have, uh, you know, they go to a platform and they say, "Hey, what are all the other portals to this platform go to? The ones that have been that have already been explored." Right. Yeah. And then you turn around and say, "Oh, okay. We'll see. They found this. They found this. They found this. They found this. They found this." And they're like, "Oh, really? I've never been to a South Sea island. Let's go there." Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's not your mission. That's okay. It, it'll be all right. One more day. What could it matter? Yeah. Right. Boom. They're gone. Because I, I introduced the I, the concept of the breadcrumb, which is a um, it's a sandbag that's been covered in that uh, neon that neon green greenish yellow you know uh, reflective covering, dropped mm-hmm. by the portal you've gone through with a little notes from the last time you went through or why you're going through, so that someone comes along and says, oh look it's a breadcrumb you can see who went through and you can figure out, oh they're inside there. And that could be a bread that could be a tension right there. They said, "Well, where was this thing filled out? Oh, about four days ago, and they haven't come back. We're going inside, and they this go after whoever went through the portal, even though there may be nothing at all wrong with them being there for four days and not coming out." Just sticking to the so we don't go off on a tangent. I want to come back to this at the at the end of talking about tangents to talk about a way to use that cleverly. Yeah. So Bruce, let's talk about the tangent. Do you want to talk about what to do about it or how to avoid it? Well, first of all, what's the, the greatest danger of the tangent is that they go off and they never come back. I have run campaigns where they suddenly decide to go do something and they, they took off. And when they got there, they found out they liked it better there. And they never wanted to come back and pick up the rest of the storyline <laughs> that I 
I had plans. <laughs> yeah, and see, and if you do that, if you sit there and try to get them where they don't go on the tangent, that's railroading, and that is probably one of the big... If there was a list of cardinal sins that a GM can do, railroading is it. So... If- Light at the end of the tunnel, yep. I have spent three weeks designing this dungeon. You're going in it. Forget about that. See this map? You were supposed to go on this map tonight. Rip, 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 rip. Now I gotta start off from scratch. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so yeah, that's not the way to get people back from tangents, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. See, and then you're you're remember, we we've said this before, I know I've said it. You don't want an adversarial relationship between players and GM. You're not trying to outdo each other. You're not trying to screw... One's not trying to screw the other over. But if the players decide to go on this tangent, one of the jobs of a GM is to... You think on your feet. you got to think, okay, I didn't quite plan for this. And we've discussed this before about... You know, oh, faking yeah, it until yeah. you make it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In our, yeah, in, in our previous show about improv- improvisation, which you hopefully right. will, will drop before this one will. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if not. I'm kind of doomed in order, John, so I'm assuming that I will. Yeah. And if he hasn't, it's coming. Yeah. yeah. And if I have, I'm going to cut this section out. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, okay, one thing you could do is, okay, so they go after the dragon. If you're a clever GM, that dragon works for the Lich. There you go, right? Oh, yeah. You can tie it back to the Lich. You know, and If you really don't want them to go, that's a Lich's trap. It's actually an illusion. Turns out that Lich was an illusionist before he became an undead wizard right. thing. By you going after it, you play into his hands and, you know, I don't know, wander off into a pit. Or you, you just wasted all that time. You get over there, and what you went after doesn't actually exist. You know, right. it's just it was just to give give him more time to make himself more powerful and better prepared for when you actually went into the, yeah. the into, into the necropolis. Fallen into my evil trap. Yes, I am more powerful than you will ever. There could be an illusion covering a volcano, and, right. you know, and if he's a really good illusionist, you can walk in that volcano, walk in that fake hillside until he decides to turn it off. Then right. all of a sudden you're over the caldera, the volcano. Woo! Okay. Fireproof, fireproof, fireproof. <laughs> all right. Why is it a good idea to let the players, you know, go after a tangent? I would say, for one, it's the fact that it's cooperative storytelling. And, I mean, the players will help feed you ideas because they're just going to say stuff that, you know, you can instantly just, okay, I can use this. And it does help enrich the role-playing experience because they're it, cooperative storytelling. Yeah, so yeah. They are, they're going to be, you know, feeding you the stuff to do this and kind of, and, and not in a bad way, I guess, well, I don't want to say hang themselves with their own rope, but self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, would be the best term that I'm thinking of right now. It, it just, it, it helps make for a richer game because you are expanding the overall story of the campaign by this tangent. Now, if you get back to the main plot line after they explore this, great. Then you've got this extra bit of the campaign where you can say, well, yeah, in the process of going after this lich, remember when we took out that dragon? Oh, that was great. Or, you know, remember when we found out that that dragon was actually an illusion by the lich? That is just going to 
piss off the players that much more, it's like, oh, that son of a, and they just, and they'll hopefully go after that lich with that much more fervor and zeal because that dragon illusion, you know, fool me once, shame on me, or whatever, you know, where that'll get them, you know, more interested in your ultimate goal. Right. You can use it to create more player buy-in. Yeah, buy-in. It makes the players feel empowered um, that they Mm -hmm. have some say in what's going on. It lets them follow their passions. Yep. I mean, they're they're not going off on that 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 tangent because they don't because they don't like it. They're going off there because that's where they want to go. Yeah. Right. So you you by letting them uh, express their passion, first of all, it informs you of what they really like. And in a lot of cases, you don't you, GMs don't know what the players like, but he can. But if he sees what they run off to do, that tells him, oh, that's what they like to do. Okay, I need to put more of that in. You know. And it also, as, as you said, Trav, it gives them, uh, by rewarding them, by giving them uh, free reign of their passions, uh, of their interests, then the player's like, well, okay, now you know, I, can, I can maybe cooperate with the GM a little bit more. He did let me do what I wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, now that I got that out of my system, yeah, right. Right. Well, well, not only that, but you can't punish them because if you're doing your job right, they don't know... Um, they don't know what's coming around the next turn, so they, in their mind, they're not going off on a tangent. You have made something appealing to them that makes them think that that's part of the adventure and that's where it's going. You know, unless of course you can somehow, you know, you know that they're messing with you by doing that. But I mean, generally for the most part, you know, players do. You know, they go off on their tangents innocently. They think that they're following the adventure. Something in the adventure has led them to believe that that's the direction that they're supposed to go in. Yeah, sometimes you need to have a tangent. Uh, if you've been, you know, having the last six months being nothing but a big uh, war slog, where you know every every week it's kill, 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 you know, heal, 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 you know, drudgery, drudgery right into the to the dungeon complex. Then all of a sudden they're on a beach. It's a tangent, but doggone it, it's a welcome tangent, isn't it? Right. Yeah. In John Carp, uh, is it John Carpenter? Uh, the, uh, the the one who did the uh, path of the hero, oh, um, Joseph, Joseph, Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Yes, thank you, Joseph Campbell. In his path of the hero, one of the things that they have is they go to the good place where they all can rest and get built up before they go on. You know, you know, to to fight the bigger fight. It's it's kind of a part of the normal progression of a story is to have a lot of troubles and tribulations, possibly some losses, but then they get to some place where they can be built up. You know, and and then they move on from there. So a tangent is is a lot of times an opportunity to send somebody off to the a good place uh, as a break, as a as a change of pace, and that's important for both the players and the characters. Mm-hmm. Yep. The biggest downside of all these things that we're going to be talking about is that if you're trying to build up some kind of tension and some kind of momentum in your adventure, all these things break that. They're all, in a sense, diversions. They may be useful diversions, but they break the dramatic tension, and they, and that means the GM's going to have to work to get it back. And that's the the last thing I have about uh, tangents. Hey, you guys, anything more about tangents? Yeah, let, let's um let's go back to the what I wanted to get back on. Um, right. Okay, Joe. Uh, okay. One of the things I was thinking that you could use a tangent for, and this would be sort of an intentional tangent, where let's say you've got this big story arc you're writing, you've got a major story that you're writing. 
but like you know, like we were saying, you wanna you wanna give them a tangent to um, to do something interesting. You can have you can set up the big adventure and make make them think that they're going on this you know a certain quest. Like say, let's take Fringeworthy. They've been given a mission to go to a certain portal on a certain platform, and they're going. And you throw in that they see what they think is a Tremel and go through one of the the portals on the way there. Well, of course they're going to go through that. I mean, any party that doesn't needs to have their head examined. They're not playing the game right. Yeah, I mean, Tremelern aren't that aren't that common that right. you would want to follow the Tremelern. Right. So you could actually give them all the handouts and stuff and make them think you've planned this great big adventure. And then when they come to that, then you're putting in a situation where they're like, oh, my God, well, I know the Game Master doesn't really really want us to do this. And this could be a trap, but our characters wouldn't – you know, they don't know that there's a Game Master who has made all these plans. And you can do that on purpose and create a situation where you're really put into the players to, to make a decision – on you know on a big scale like that, and they know that you could be setting them up, and it's just it makes for a really kind of cool uh, you know plot development there. But by doing this, you really want them to follow that thing because they're, they're, in all likelihood they're going to. So you should have it planned out. You could also download a bunch of material and use as handouts and stuff that you never intend to use. That adventure you're not even you're not even really planning on having. You throw in a tangent that they can't they just cannot resist. And that's actually the adventure, and that's a good way to surprise them. They're prepared for one kind of adventure, and then you catch them completely off guard onto a whole different kind of adventure. That does have one disadvantage, though. If they turn around and say, "Well, wait a second, now, we have a mission. We have to. We'll make note of this of the Tamelan that we saw him here. Right. But we have this mission we got to finish. Right. So, it, you you could run into that. Yeah. So you, yeah. You, I hate to say this. You, you you have one or two. You have one or two ways of doing this. One, they see the Tamelan walk through the walk through the portal, they run over there, they step through to the other side. They don't transit. And they go, what? They, they It's locked. But I just saw him go through. Yeah, uh-huh. he's to Mellon. You know, he did right. something turn it off or he maybe it was never turned on. You know? Right, or if you don't, if you really don't want them to go through to the other place, you lock one of the big portals. And like, wait a minute, you can do that? Well, Apparently, uh, you could just make some stuff up. Is what you know. Is what I'm saying, just to keep them from. Maybe he locked it yeah. when he came through. You mean one of the uh, pathway portals? Yeah, yeah, one of the pathway portals. Maybe the Tremelin locked it or something. Maybe you should really go find him now, so you can figure out how to unlock it. Yeah, or or you prepare two adventures to see which one they follow. Right. Right, and that's yeah. that's a lot of work, but yeah, it's a lot yeah. of work. Yeah, so well, but, it's not as much work as it used to be when they walked onto a platform and they expected to go through every single one of those portals, and you had to have eight adventures every single week. Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff you're going to have to be prepared to do if you're going to run one of these tangents. Just be prepared that you know you may stick yourself, uh, you know, shoot yourself in the foot if you're not careful. Right. I mean, in most cases, the tangent is just that. It wasn't planned. They would decide to go running off somewhere, and you may not be fully prepared to run that adventure. Yeah. So you might have to say, hey, uh, let's, let's take a you know a pizza break here for the next half hour while I go through my notes, and mm-hmm. then, where you start busily writing stuff. <laughs> Actually, a tangent can happen from, game, from the campaign history. This could be Fringe, where this could be Bureau 13, this could be any of the games. The players are traveling through an area, and one goes, hey, wait a second, 
I know somebody here, so and so. We 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 had that adventure about you know two years a year ago. I wonder if you're still here, and go visit them. Right. Well, that's not a tangent, John. That's backstory. Okay, how about this? A backstory-induced tangent. Backstory takes place in the past. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, backstory is just information in the past that affects your present. No, no, no I'm not saying they, they make a tangent by actually saying, let's go visit the person we, we had a gate, we, we ventured with and see what's happening with them. And sort of, you know, break off the, the main adventure and go visit somebody. Yes. That's, that's not backstory. Yeah. That's a tangent. No, I'm, I'm calling that backstory, John. I'm... C- <laughs> Fine. Yeah. No, I'm just saying is that's uh, the way I'm the way I'm using it as far as our discussion tonight. Uh, backstory is uh, something that's unrelated to the main quest. Okay. However, uh, it's where you gain information about the plot or characters that are in the plot. Okay, by going by by doing something, either going someplace or usually sitting down and and have and hearing about something is not very it's not going to be very interesting because role playing is just that it's an active thing. So unless you're doing a time travel thing where you actually are traveling back to the moment of which the the story that we're talking about is taking place, it's usually going to happen as a result of some other action. So, I don't know. I, I've actually I've played I run games and play games where they actually where the adventure had a backstory. This is these are published games, published adventures, where they actually have backstories built into them. So you actually would play with lower level versions of the characters to play out a certain sequence, and then you back to the future again. It can be done. Uh, just, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, that's a pre- that's a very highly defined situation there, John. This is an aside action a side line that reveals information about either the uh, characters that are in the main storyline, areas along the main storyline, or the the PCs themselves, okay? And this can happen a lot of different ways. I mean, one of the ways is is that you're walking along, you're in your house, whatever, knock at the door, it's your brother, your sister, your mom, okay? And maybe at that point... They come in and they get to introduce to all your friends and they and your mom starts telling a story. But more likely she's going to say or he's going to say, hey, something's happening back home or something's happening over here. And I came to get you to bring you back over there to deal with it. It has nothing to do with the main storyline at all. Well, to me, that's still a tangent. But it's planned, John. Okay, that's planned, yeah. All right. It's you know, it's done for the purposes of revealing information to the players about the world and or people or the characters or giving the the player an opportunity to reveal information about himself. Yeah. Okay. And when it's about the the player himself, of course, usually the player is in one of the play at least one of the players is in cahoots with the GM to allow this to happen. Because I've, I've, I've run adventures where I've not, you know, knock on the door, it's your brother. And, and the, the player's like, I don't have a brother. <laughs> sure you do. <laughs> you know, or it's your wife. What? <laughs> yeah. I think you, if, you, if you introduce characters like that, you should actually make sure you, you get a buy-off from the players first. Unless, of course, it's the unknown brother. They're, 
their their the brother who was given away for adoption when they were born, or they were adopted, and it's their long lost brother, or it's your arranged marriage wife who your parents oh. never bothered to tell you about because you went off to paladin school and they you know because their coin social coin was a little bit higher they parlayed that into a better marriage for you and all of a sudden knock 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 your bride's at your door probably with her entire family and entourage Mm -hmm. but uh, so to me a backstory is all about revealing information that's mostly happened in the past for the purposes of driving a quest uh, of some kind, not necessarily the main quest, but you know, some something where they say you're, you know, by by traveling with this person back to their hometown, finding out what all the problem is, finding out the history of that problem, you know, those places become real. You know, the the places in the game world become important places to them because they have actions that ground them in those locations. If nothing more than helping. Some other somebody else's character deal with his own baggage that he may not even know he had until then. Yeah. Uh, these kinds of things, especially with the backstories, if you're playing a game system where the other players are allowed to tell you things about your character, mm-hmm. that can really go crazy. Oh yeah, uh, games like Fate, where you can basically push a Benny, uh, uh, you know, across the table and and. And, and tell the other players something, and if they take it, it's real. It's now permanent. Yeah, or, or games where each scene is the, totally dependent upon the person who has the talking stick and determines where the scene takes place and when the scene takes place. You can actually start out like a fiasco is, another, is one game system where you can start out with the last scene in the game. And everything else is building up to with that last scene in the game. You know, so to speak. So you, you see what happens. Now it's up to you to determine how it happened. Yeah, that's 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 hard. That'd be really hard yeah. to do. But there's some there's a lot of really great bonuses to having these kinds of backstories. I mean, first of all, like I said, you're grounding the person in an area. You're making connections between your the PCs and between the uh, the PCs and the NPCs. A lot of times, what will happen is there will be some emergent play where. You say, well, yeah, and I used to do this, and I used to do that, and I used to do that. And, hey, GM, since I used to do that, don't I get a bonus to do that? Background bonus, long muse skill. And the GM's like, well, I guess maybe you should. It's a great way for your character to create skill bonuses in a lot of areas and be justifiable in doing so. Well, yeah, for uh, D20, that's what the occupation would be for, for D20 Modern, for the games like Bureau 13 and Fringeworthy. You have class skills, they're permanent class skills, part of your occupation. Like criminal, you have, like, hide, move silently, uh, disable device. And let's say you were a cat burglar before you were found to be Fringeworthy. Well, if those are your permanent class skills and you take, uh, let's see, I believe Fast Hero would be the proper class for that if those are class skills already and that is your occupation criminal and they are now permanent class skills you get a plus one competence bonus to those skills because it's stuff that you've been doing for a good portion of your life before you became an adventurer so something like that is already built in I'm, i'm not sure how that would work in a savage world also, you could say is that you know that that particular lock that was the lock I first you know learned. I I practiced on that lock for 
10 hours a day until I finally got it down. I'm an expert on that lock. And therefore, you could say that that person has at least a plus two competency bonus on that lock. Not Maybe not on locks in general, but on that lock, you could, you could get away with it. Mm. The GM would probably allow you that. Backstories allow you to you know, uh, bring in a lot of competencies. The, in the original uh, TriTech rules, there was a minus six detriment to never having done this before. But if you could come up with any kind of a story background that said, well, yeah, I used to do this or I used to watch this television show and they did that all the time, you could say that I had at least minimal experience, at least an understanding of it where it wasn't like I was a total newbie in the woods and remove that minus, that uh, at least that to modify that to a certain degree by simply saying that my background gives me some kind of a familiarity with those tasks that I shouldn't be uh, using such a high uh, negative modifier. You know, depending on your um, your storyteller level of your game, you know, because every some games are you know very strict rules and, and you know some games are more storyteller so they you know let the players have a little more control on things because it's it's not really s- just the dice rolls it's it's the adventure that's going on you could allow people to save up experience points uh you know for point based games you couldn't do this with like D20 but say for savage worlds or, or you know games like that you could allow people to set aside some of their experience points to spend on on skills that would be impromptu that they could say, oh, yeah, well, you know, when I was uh, serving in the military, we learned how to operate those old-time radios. And then you'd put down, you know, maybe, depending on the system, but maybe you put down general knowledge, you know, 1940s radios or something, you know, depending on you know, what era you're playing or whatever. But you know what I mean. Sure. I don't know, general knowledge, uh, Russian literature, and you're like, you know – Oh, yeah, that's a story by such and such. And, uh, oh, wow, you know what? If he's writing about that, maybe he's uh, some kind of Russian blah, 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 which would give you the clue. You know, you could spend your experience. Now, at that point, you'd have that skill, and you may never use it again, but for that adventure, it's very important. And, but then again, it might be something you develop later on and say, well, my character is going to continue using this skill and going to develop some of his personal aspects. Yeah. Now, now from Savage Worlds... What you could say is the GM said, okay, you don't have the skill, but you don't have a minus either when you use general knowledge, you know, to, to, to do the skill. Right. So, so, so basically you're trained, but you're not trained enough to actually have the skill. You didn't do it long enough to actually get a D4 in that skill. But you don't have a minus 2, though, to using it. So you just right. get your straight general knowledge or you have a straight untrained D4, D, D, uh, D4 role right. to use it. Yeah, exactly. You're you're okay. you're you're eliminating that minus for not having any training in it at all. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So maybe so, it was just some something you 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 were interested in because your character he found it he just found an interest like an interesting subject. So you read a lot about it. Sort of like uh, sort of like me with um, vaccines and such. I couldn't give anyone a vaccine, but I've read so much about them that I know a lot about how they work and everything. So I might have. A general knowledge. If I went to some world and they were, you know, they had some disease and they were like, "Well, could we give them a vaccine for it?" I might go. I might be able to make a not a skilled role, but not an unskilled role to say, "Well, no, that won't help because you need to blah blah blah." So I can see where that would come into play like that. In a lot of game systems, one of the biggest 
things you have to be careful about as a game designer is what's referred to as skill dilution, which is where you introduce new skills into a game that already has a certain set of skills. Mm -hmm. And now when people get skill points, they have to now spread those skill points out over more skills. You know, there's more choices, therefore, they're taking additional skills, and they don't put those skills into a concentrated area, which would make them more effective because then the skill levels would be higher in those areas. Right. So, you know, that's uh, a problem that a lot of the game systems have that don't have a limit on the number of skills. If instead of doing that, you simply go and say, hey, I've done this in my past, I have a bonus then mm-hmm. if you have a default role, like it, say in Savage Rules, the D4 minus 2, you say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to be using the D4 minus 2, but because this one particular area I have a background in, I write that down, I get the bonus, so it's, all, you know, so it's not just a D4 instead of a D2, but I didn't have to spend any skill points to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, that's a win for everybody because it, the, uh, the, the game master isn't, seeing you know huge amounts of skill inflation by saying well these guys aren't doing so well i got to give them more skill points and causing skill inflation at the same you know and and they're not experiencing skill dilution by not getting enough skills in order to keep pace so it's a good solution all around and it can be justified you know by backstories so that's and backstory type adventures some people uh, players like having more options like in, in Sarah's Worlds, you have shooting as your skill. That's it. Some people like to have shooting rifles, shooting pistols, shooting whatever. You know, shades of Tritech. Uh, but you know, uh, it really depends on the players. Some players like having be able to specialize in a certain weapon versus just being I'm fighter. I can use whatever. Well, in yeah. in D20, they have that. And let's say you have for your character both personal firearm proficiency and advanced firearm proficiency. Mm-hmm. The feat weapon focus allows you a plus one to attack with a particular stated weapon. Now, you just can't say, okay, I'm good with blades. You have to say, I'm good with a dagger, or I'm good with a katana, mm-hmm. or I'm good with a bastard sword, or I'm good with a Walther PPK, or I'm good with an M16. And you get that plus one to that. You can never be good with an M16. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> wow. There's, there's also another place where, where backstory comes in, and it has nothing to do with um, you know, your skill, skill level. Another thing that comes in is, for backstory is just the story itself, the game story itself. I mean, it doesn't have to play into a skill. It doesn't have to play into any kind of points or levels or any of that kind of stuff. It can just be stuff that your character can can know and talk about. You know, I'm thinking I'll go with Bureau 13. If you were somebody who watched a lot of TV, you know, you, you wrote that in your backstory of your character. You say, yeah, I'm a big TV watcher or whatever. You know, you're not going to have any skill in TV watching. But if something were to happen, let's say there was a, some kind of serial killers or something and, and they had some mystical something to them and you guys were investigating them and it turned out that the guy was using – like in Cable Guy, the the guy who's killing all these people is using uh, TV character names every time he kills somebody as his ID or something. It's like, or somebody says, "Yeah, he knocked on my door and his name said his name was Ernie Douglas." That's where the game master could just tell your character, you know, I want you to make some kind of intelligence check or something, you know, some some easy role for you to make, and then. You might say, well, I know your character. You wrote in your story that your character spent three years sitting on the couch watching TV. You realize that this guy is using 
TV character names all the time. Mm, so it no. it doesn't have to be like anything that is mechanic driven. It can just be story driven. And if you kill this guy, you might be wondering where the other two sons were. Right. Okay. Sure. <laughs> or the or the dad. Right. The the reference is my three sons. Right. Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. All right. <laughs> Background-type adventures are also good just to help bring the campaign alive, the game world alive. The more places you go to, the more things you see, the more the, – the world just seems real. Yep. Yeah. So backstories can also provide a lot of player motivation. If while you were – let's say, again, we're back the Lich King necropolis, you go back home and you find your home – your your hometown in ruins. You know your sister farmed off to some harem somewhere. You know your family. You know uh, living hand to mouth because all their food is being taken to feed the Lich King's armies. You look around it, and you you uh, the idyllic life that you remember from your childhood. You see the destitution and the desolation that's now there. That'll give you a lot more motivation to, you know, gird your loins when you're going into the scary part of the of the uh, of the Lich Kingdom's catacombs. Mm-hmm. Can't stop now. I got family back there that's going to starve to death if we don't get rid of this guy. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or I have an NPC I have to rescue. You know, my sister who you know is part of this harem. I got to get her out of there. Yeah. Right. right. And it also provides you with a strong connection to an NPC that. What can later on you can, as you say, you might have a reason to go back and visit them, or they might have a reason to come and see you. And if they ha- happen to have good skills in something, they have a reason to be around you. Versus where you just walk up to somebody and he's, you know, you need to talk to him because it's part of the main quest line. But once your business is done, you're, you know, then the relationship is done as well. You know, you, you might say, hey, remember we did that thing two years ago? Like, oh, hi, how you doing? But if it's a childhood friend, if it's an ex-lover, if it's a boss that treated you like dirt, you know, you have a strong connection to that person. That's going to drive, it can drive things in the future if the game master is on his toes. Hey, I, I want to say, uh, I want to take this down just a tiny bit of a path here. It's still on backstory. It's something a little different, though. The campaign we played before the campaign we're playing now we ran, I believe, I'm trying to remember, but I think it was about six adventures that took place before the campaign started. And it was basically two adventures when we were little kids, two adventures when we were teenagers, and two adventures when we were just getting ready to graduate high school. Those adventures set up a bunch of stuff that happened in the campaign. So basically we played those six adventures, and at the end of the last one, the next time we played... It was like 10 years later. And that's the characters. We then took our characters and actually remade our characters. But we used the original characters as sort of the background, as sort of the, the basic template for making up the new character. We just It wasn't a direct translation or anything like that. We just used it as sort of a, um, you know, a guideline on how we should make our, our, our actual character that we were going to play. And that worked out so well. Uh, when, when the adventure began, we were all living in different states, and we all had different lives completely. But when the adventure began and we wound up getting pulled together, we immediately made a party because we were all old friends from high school mm-hmm. t- in childhood life. And things happened back then, and the Game Master would pull little elements out of the back then 
into the modern adventures, and it worked out really, really good. It made the story super rich. Right. But the uh, very first uh, D&D campaign I ever ran, I started it because I didn't like the other campaigns that were being available to me to play in. They were very cutthroat. They were very competitive. And I wanted something of a more heroic nature. The players I had as a GM to play with, they were all teenagers. They were all young kids because, you know, (laughs) everybody else was playing in these other campaigns. And so I told them all, says, you're all from the same town. You have all known each other your entire lives. Because I knew that if I did that, then they wouldn't be like, well, I'm just going to go and kill you and take your stuff. And would you do that to somebody you've known all your life? No, probably not. It created a lot of loyalty amongst these play- these characters, these PCs, that otherwise wouldn't have been there simply because they now knew that they had a lot of shared experiences and they had to, they need a really good justification for doing something like that because they hadn't killed each other for 10 years before now. Why are they suddenly killing each other now? Yeah, that'd be one of those things where the, the party's just going, okay, at what point did we lose control here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually there's a girl involved. No. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, boy, it's a good thing Amber's not here this week. <laughs> <clears throat> and I'm talking about the NPCs, you know. Though, though I've, I've seen lots of guys play female NP, uh, PC characters that have caused a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think we've done more than a few podcasts on that one. Yeah. All right, so that's what I've got on Backstories. Uh, and how they drive quests and things like that. So that leaves our last one of side quests. Now, my uh, definition of side quests are a quest that's related to the main quest, but it isn't necessarily essential. It doesn't mean that there isn't a bonus involved to it. It just means that if they don't do it, it doesn't mean that the, the main quest can't go on. If you have to do it, it's really part of the main quest. It's not really a side quest. It just looks like a side quest. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like take go back to your original example. The dragon is part of the uh, the adventure. He, he uh, but he's a side quest to taking out the lich. Right. Well, maybe the dragon has a horde, and maybe in the horde are some items that'd be really useful in taking out the lich. Right. By going on a side quest to go and conquer the dragon and get his horde, that's going to help you in your main quest, but it doesn't have to be part of it. It's useful, but not necessary. In other words, you can defeat the lich without the artifact that's in his treasure. Right. But it doesn't mean it isn't related to the main quest. And the classic example of this is where you walk up to some guy and you say, hey, I need you to make me you know, these boots of flying. And he says, oh, I'd be glad to do that, but first got to do some stuff for me. Right. Those are side quests. I mean, it, a lot of times it's, it's creating trust. It's like, before I tell you what you want to know, before I give you what you want, I want to make sure that I'm doing this for somebody who's an okay guy. Right. I don't want to be wasting my effort making this plus five Holy Avenger and giving it to some guy who's going to just say, you know, I could just <laughs> let me just take this down to the pawn shop down the street and collect my million gold pieces and just leave this <laughs> leave this entire country and go buy myself an island somewhere and live a good life. You know, that NPC wants to be sure that you're the right person for him to to cooperate with. And so side quests are part of that. That's how one way of doing it. It's a way of proving yourself to an NPC, at the same time, usually there's a, a benefit involved in you doing it. Yeah. 
That sounds like one of those one of those uh, reminds me of a cartoon where if you want the fish, I need these boots to get the boots. The guy wants this. The guy who give him that needs needs something else. So you have to do this chain of a chain of quests mm-hmm. to get the fish. Right, and the fish and the fish is is the main quest. But sometimes yeah. you have to go on these these side quests. But but like I say, if you have to go on the side quests, then it's really part of the main quest. It's just yeah. it's just posing as a side quest. But you know things like grinding, you know that's a that's a side quest because. You know, unless you really need those levels in order to fight the big bad, the kid runs up to you and says, "Mister, that bad man over there stole my my magic rock." You know, and so you feel like you should go do something about it. That's that's a side quest. You know, it's, it's yeah. kind of almost a tangent. Well, especially the magic rock does something really good. You may want to keep it for yourself. Now, uh... <laughs> well, if you happen to know that the magic rock is a symbol to a church, you're trying to find a cleric for. By getting the magic rock back, then you can start asking the kid a question, saying, where are the priests for this? Is your family a worshiper of this god? Especially if it's a god that is forbidden, not in favor. Or obscure. For side quests, the, the biggest difference between them and tangents is the, the side quest is part of the adventure, but it's not a necessary part of the adventure. I agree. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, so it directly ties in. And basically, by running that side quest, you're generally going to get more out of it, and you're going to get more out of the big adventure because mm-hmm. you went on the side quest, except you are going to be exposing yourself to more risk, and you're going to be taking more time. It's going to take you longer to finish the main quest. You could lose somebody, or you could lose more time because people get injured or whatever on this side quest. You could get frustrated because you could go on the side quest and get nothing. You could actually go on the side quest and get set back could run into a specter and get drained some levels or, or hey i was just thinking let's say you go on the side quest and you you know your characters are pretty well equipped and you go on the side quest and you and you botch it you mess it up so that you know you get nothing out of it you you, you basically fail it but at this not only did you not get anything out of it but you wasted time you got injured people and your say your paladin or your 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 main fighter or whatever lost his magic sword in the in the whole thing yeah. So now you're down like a valuable magic item. Uh, you could wind up further off. That's not the intent of the side quest. The, the intent is for you guys to take some extra time, take some extra risk, and get some more stuff, get some more clues and stuff for the adventure. But if the threat of not being set back isn't there, then there's no real point to doing it because right. there's no sense of, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this because sometimes maybe they shouldn't. Maybe, maybe that side quest is really difficult your side quest was to rescue some guy and you failed to do that, then you could incur the rancor of the entire area because you're the people who let their local hero die. Mm-hmm. Every time you come back to that area, people were spitting on the ground and, and, and jacking up the prices for anything that, uh, that, that you want to buy. Mm-hmm. There could be some long-term effects from screwing up a quest. In games where they have things like factions, by going on the quest, you're allying yourself with one faction, making yourself an enemy of another faction. And you know what? And that might be a good part of the side quest, some way you could use it. So let's say you're running a really political campaign. You have, I don't know, several warlords in an area or several kings in an area. And you're going on this quest to take out your lich. And... You know, a side quest comes up oh, yeah. to help out this one king with something. But if you help him out, you're going to cheese off another king. And currently, you haven't cheesed off any of them yet. 
So, you know, you might have to weigh the options. You might have to say, well, if I help him, then basically I'm going to get free passage through his land, which is going to let us get to the Lich faster. However, it's going to cheese off this other guy, so we may have to wind up fighting some of their people on the way because they may intercept us at some point or something because he's, you know, because we've cheesed off this other king. If you're running a very political campaign, like let's say you're running some kind of Game of Thrones type level campaign, you may want to throw that in there just to make it so that there's a lot of political stuff you have to do. Oh, that works good with Vampire too. If you're playing Bureau 13, maybe there are different vampire cults. You're trying to take out some werewolf or something. If you help out this one vampire cult, then they'll let you into their territory to hunt down this werewolf that's been doing some stuff. But by doing that, you're going to cheese off this other vampire cult that have to deal with vampires now that you didn't have to deal with before. A side quest should still be important. Just because it's a side quest doesn't mean it should not affect the game. Everything you do should affect the game. Side quests that do nothing more than create a benefit to your character are kind of a gimme. I think that's not enough of a challenge for most players. All you're doing then is grinding. I mean, I understand the need for that sometimes, but I think that a a well-designed adventure should obviate the need for grinding. And grinding, by the way, in case anybody doesn't know what that is, is where you, you do something that will enhance your skills or your combat ability or something like that by doing things like fighting monsters or doing repetitive tasks that eventually result in you getting a bonus, a permanent bonus in those areas. The side quest should always have a benefit. It's good if they have a minus two if you're not careful. Uh, It's even better if by making a choice that gives you a benefit, it also gives you a minus at the same time because then your choices are meaningful in the game and other people's choices that they make will affect you as well. So that creates better player interaction. All these things, they're not directly part of the main quest, but they all work together to create a richer, better experience. But as you said, Blix, there's some real minuses to it, and we touched on this before, but some of the big problems about side quests is that they take a lot of time. Here we're kind of metagaming what we're talking about here because as a player, I'm usually the person who writes down all the notes, but sometimes I miss things, and the other players, sometimes they don't listen at all. And so what happens is is that the GM tells you something, and when he told you it was really important, you knew it was important, but now after you've gone two or three side quests, you may have forgot what that important piece of information was, or you spilled your Coke on the sheet of paper that had it. You can lose essential information by taking too much time on side quests that's important to you successfully fulfilling the main quest can go and lose a major resource, PCs can die in side quests. They can also lose levels by either dying and being resurrected in the case of D&D or uh, just getting injured in other games where they have permanent injury rules. You can lose players. If you take too long, you know, you may, some of your players may graduate <laughs> or go home for summer break and you're like, yeah, but we were about to go into the fight the Lich King and Amber had to go do something. <laughs> They're not going to be back for three weeks. It's spring break, man. You should have thought about it, man. (laughs) You can undermine your own campaign. You can even destroy your own campaign under certain circumstances by having too many side quests and tangents and backstories. And the thing you have to be the most careful about is you can screw up your timeline. Because if you said 
You're to stop the Lich King from completing his ceremony on the third day of the full moon. And it's like a week before the full moon and your side quest just took two weeks. Oops. Right. <laughs> you might find yourself too far away to get back. You, know, you, you will miss things that supposedly can't reoccur. Side quests can act inadvertently really change your stories. You could basically fail a quest, a major quest, simply by going off and doing something that seems like it really needs to be done, but you really needed to put that time in somewhere else. Let's say I sit aside with my one of my Friday night players. I'll use O Dana. In my campaign right now that I've just started, she's playing an 18-year-old schizotypal mental patient that killed her parents, and that's why she's there. Well, let's say she has some plot point that she wants to do in the campaign. It's become a major campaign arc. Well, if I do enough side quests where I'm not exploring that campaign arc, Dana's going to get angry after a while and may decide, you know what, I got better things to do on my Friday night. So, yeah, the side, too many side quests can really be bad, especially for a player-driven character arc. Such as, oh, I want to try to get myself cured, or I want to go explore this avenue for this or whatever. And if you keep going, well, okay, we're going to go to this place, we're going to go to this place. Yeah, after a while, that's going to cause animosity with a player, and they might leave. Side quests are nice once in a while. It's to break up the monotony of kill, 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 plot, 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 you know, heal, heal, heal. And then we're going to go here. Nice once in a while. It's like, you know, candy in your diet. It's nice once in a while to have a nice dessert or something, but if you have too much of it, things can go bad. Right, a palate cleanser. Oh, I like that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Trav. That's, those are good examples. That's pretty much what I have on uh, side quests. Anybody have anything else? I had a half foreign thought, then I realized it was more about tangents than it was about side quests. Well, if you want to go back to some of these things, it's okay. I We've hit the the three main areas. So if there's some thoughts you have about some stuff that we that you've just occurred to you now, go ahead. We're allowed the tangent now. We we finished the main quest line. We we got through the topic. <laughs> How do we do that? Yeah, I know. I know. It's amazing. I heard it cats. That's what I did. Well, in this case, this is my uh, Friday night um, fringe with the game. They're in Victorian London, uh, England, uh, in Victorian London, and one of the players decided. He wanted to find a bare-knuckle fistfight uh, game. I went, okay. So I, fisticuffs? I, yes, fist. Well, no, no, bare, no, no, not fisticuffs. They found one. Pugilism? No, no. Did you ever see the, did you see the most recent uh, Sherlock Holmes movie? with uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of fisticuffs. <laughs> okay. So basically, you can't yank on certain body parts or do other certain things, but otherwise, it's pretty much open game. A little rough and tumble? Yeah, a little rough and tumble, yeah. And I, and I basically said, okay, I just made it up. I mean, I made everything up, but, but, but didn't derail from the, ga- from the actual game. I, just, I let him have his little side quest. Tangent. His little tangent, yeah. Yeah, and if it does, if your player, you give him a side quest, he does what he wants, mm-hmm. like we said earlier. Yeah, he'll be more inclined to go through the rest of the plot because I got what I want, I got my spotlight time, good, let's rock, let's do this. I had two choices for what he wanted to find. This was the nice of the two choices, so yeah, I gave him this one. That's a really good point, Trav. One of the really useful things about a tangent is to give a really quick, intense spotlight yes. for on somebody. 
uh, especially somebody who doesn't get enough spotlight. If your campaign is mostly about combat and you have one character that's really into the technology, having a little tangent with a really intense spotlight on how this thing is put together or breaking this code can really up the player satisfaction because his player really gets to shine for for that moment. In this case, my games are uh, not as much com- combat happens, but very infrequently. And I knew that there wasn't going to be any combat happening for like another session or two sessions. So giving him this uh, you know, ability to go and well, kick some butt, you know, and look impressive as I'll get out while doing it. It was it was fine for the character. Otherwise, he was he was not the talker. The talkers were doing all the work, and I figured, okay, I'll gi- I'll give you the, the fisticuffs, and you get to go out there and you get to get to kick this guy's butt. And then, of course, when he found out, he won he won the round, and said, and the guy, of course, the guy who runs the ring trial says, "Okay, mate, now you gotta hold the ring against all comers." And this is where he just goes, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and he held it for three rounds for three for three 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 comers, and he felt great, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's taken from the ring, bloody but unbowed. We're always trying to bring us back to Tritech stuff, so let's go with Fringeworthy. All of this plays into Fringeworthy very, very well because you can always use any amount of it in a Fringeworthy adventure, especially the tangent and the you know the side quest. Because anytime somebody comes to a platform, you've got six tangents or side quests at any given moment. You can use any of those at any any time. If you're game mastering Fringeworthy, you can make use of this like crazy. You know, you can take all the stuff that we've done or we've said like. Let's let's take for example a, a node, and you've got your prime world, and it. Let's say that the, the prime world's in the future where you can travel to other planets and stuff. So now you can go up to the system and you can use that platform to your advantage, and you can also use the stars to your advantage. The alternates you could use to your advantage, probably not as well considering what we're talking about here, because they wouldn't really play into the major story. Although may, maybe they could if you worked it right. But what I'm thinking is is that you could be on the main world, which is where the adventure is going, which is on the prime, and you could be doing stuff. But then you could have side stories and tangents on the other platform, on the star, on the system, or on the stars. So you could go to, let's say, it's on Earth, that the prime is on Earth, and and you know you're you're going around and doing your adventure. But then some clue comes up, and you're like, you know what, I want to go to Mars and investigate that. And that may not be part of the main mission, but it may be something that you could go and get extra, you know, extra information on. Or maybe you want to go to Alpha Centauri and try and find out, you know, they mentioned some corporation and they have an office out there. Let's go see what that office has to say. And it may not be part of the main adventure. The game master might say, "All right, you go to Alpha Centauri. Let's see what you find." So for Fringeworthy, that works. I think it works exceptionally well. And you could kind of do the same thing. I mean, with any of the TriTech games, really, let's take Bureau 13. You could have other dimensions that you could go to or other, like, mystical spots. For Hardwired Hinterland, you know, you've got your different zones. Uh, I'm sorry, what are they called, Bruce? Environs. Environs, that's it, right? Sorry. I know I was using the wrong word. So you've got different environs. Maybe you need to go to another environ to find some clue out. And it may not even be part of the main adventure. Maybe... Uh, something gets mentioned that you know this great white hunter you're looking for on on this environ. He came from this other environ, and you're like, well, you know, what? we're going to go to that other one first and find out some information about this guy. Maybe that'll lead us to some clues to how to find him. 
And the game master might be like, well, I hadn't really intended on that, but, you know, hey, you guys go there. and By going there, you might find out a lot of information about the Great White Hunter's backstory. Yeah. Right, that's, yeah. And then when you finally come into the confrontation with the Great White Hunter, who's now the big bad guy that you're up against, you have a choice. Before, all you, your only choice was to fight him and, and, and try to kill him. Now you have the choice of trying to re- make him remember the person he used to be and let him turn aside from the evil path he's on and perhaps return, set, turn on to a new path, a path of redemption. Yeah. You know, when he, he, he remembers that there were people that he cared about and who still care for him and there's a place for him to go. You know, if he wants to go on that path of redemption, that wouldn't have, that option didn't have to be there, but since it's now available, that gives you more choices, and that gives the GM more choices to weave a better adventure. Let's say you're a GM who who's able to respond quickly to things, and you know you feel in, so inclined to do this. Let's say they decide to go research this guy's past. You're like, well, I don't really know what to do with this, but it gives you, you know, if you take some time, you think about it, it's like, hey, you know what? I could twist this story all up now. So let's say you've got this great white hunter who you're being sent after to, to, to take down because he's the big bad by some oil baron or whatever. Maybe he robs some stuff from an oil baron or he's, you know, he's been terrorizing you know, this, this oil baron. So you go back to his hometown on his, own, on his environ and that's where you find out the clue. Now, you weren't meant to find this out because it didn't exist before you went there and the game master said, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist this story all up. You find out that the oil baron had his family killed because of something he was doing, and this guy actually isn't the terrorist. He's actually the good guy. So it completely, you know, 180s the adventure. Mm-hmm. So when you go find him, you join forces with him against the oil baron rather than taking him out. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, you, you would have missed that otherwise. What I'm saying is, is that it didn't exist otherwise. You go to this place, the game master uses that as a tool to, right. to switch things up and make a better story. Right. The GM turns the side quest into the main storyline. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's hardwire. Hinterlands would be fantastic for this. I- incursion. You could do a lot of the same stuff because you're traveling to different planets. Same thing with FTL. Most of the TriTac games, you could use a lot of these elements because TriTac really plays into that big, tr- like huge, big travel component. Yeah, there's a big canvas in the TriTag games. Oh, yeah. So what do you think of that, Trav? I mean, you're real big on Incursion, right? Yeah, that was my gateway game for TriTag, yeah. How would you use uh, Incursion to, to really play into this whole side quest stuff? I would say that because your main goal with Incursion is to get home to Earth. Technically, every planet in some way or another that you <laughs> that you go to is a side quest because... Your overall story arc is find Earth out of the 72,000 destinations on the 12,000 cubes you have. Each planet is a side quest. You're going to do something. You might pick up a new skill. You might lose friends. You might lose or gain stuff. And over the course of it, you're heading toward that light at the end of the tunnel, Earth. Paired to its core... Incursion is we come out of hyperspace and we see the planet. It's not Earth. Okay, turn the cube, go to the next one. I mean, that could be your campaign until you finally, you just keep doing it. 72,000 sides later, you have found Earth. The real quest is not actually finding Earth. 
The real quest is finding the cube that takes you to the Earth, which means you need to find the most rarest of things, a cube reader. Yeah, the reader programmer, yep. Yeah, if you can find one of those, then it takes a matter of hours to find out where which one takes you to the Earth. You know, but that's finding one of those. And that may, you may have to go in the middle of the Kostopnor Empire to get one. Yeah. <laughs> About that, yeah. Yeah. So when you go down and you start asking questions about where one of these things can be found, that's when all these side quests are kicking in. Well, I might know something, but I need you to do something for me first. And let's face it, you know, from time to time, going on a side quest or a, you know, a tangent is just straight up fun. I mean, sometimes you just have to do it, you know, because if you just follow the script, it gets boring. You do everything that's obvious that you, you know that the game master wants you to do. That's lame. Every once in a while you need to go, you know what? I saw a shiny thing and I am going to go get that shiny thing. I'm going to get that shiny thing right now. <laughs> Tangents are PC-driven entirely. The GM might trigger it by saying something, but it, it's really the PC is the one driving that. When they walk into the bar and they say, hey, you heard any rumors? What's going on in this town? And the GM pulls out this sheet of paper and reads off 30 things. You know that half of them are red herrings. Half of them are unimportant, and maybe only one or two of them are actually related to the main quest you're on. They're all tangents and side quests, but that's what you wanted. That's why you asked the question. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the game. In all the various games, you, you, you also develop, as Bruce said, you also have ample time for backstory. You'll, you'll run with the people. You'll have NPCs you know in different worlds. You may you know, have people you want to go visit sometimes, and, you know... I, I, I'm tired of doing this adventure. I want to go to Cleveland to see my grandparents. All right? We're going to Cleveland. You know, I get very tired of adventuring with Bob the fighter. Yeah. Huh. And what I know about Bob is he wears chain mail, and he has a two-handed sword, and it's got a plus-one enchantment on it. And he doesn't bathe. And he doesn't bathe, and, you know, and he only eats iron rats. You know, which may or may not be iron rashes. They actually could be iron rash. You never know because you know he just he just says he does it. Good Lord, lad! You just don't stand behind him after eat some though. Okay, whoosh. I mean, you want other people to develop their characters. Yeah. You want to learn more about them because it gives ways for your character and their character to interact. I mean, it's really hard to create conflict with other characters when the only thing that you have conflict is who's going to get that magic item and I didn't get my fair share of the treasure. That gets boring very quickly. Yeah. All these kinds of things are important to making your role-playing experience richer and make the other people's characters important in your character's life. Mm-hmm. And I say that because a lot of people do treat these things as being huge distractions. Just stay on the main storyline. Uh, going back to video games, some guy says, I completed that game in seven hours. Meanwhile, here I am, 25, 30 days into the same video game, and I'm like, what did they do? Did they like not, you know, did they never go anywhere except like straight down the main path? I mean, I, I think they people do that for the ego boo saying, I completed it first. I know the ending and you don't. But I find it to be a, a very unrich experience when you don't follow those side quests, when you don't, you know, look over that hill to see what's on the other side. 
what is that undescribed map marker on my Pip-Boy? <laughs> I should go check that out. I'm like that. Let's also say this. As, as a game master, if you're following our guidelines here and you, you like say, hey, these are great ideas and everything, and you know you promote this, don't get mad when the players actually do it. You know, because if you're promoting it, they will. Yeah, you're giving permission. Right, you're you're giving them permission to go off. Now, and of course, all of this, I mean, it always should go with a grain of salt, as I say. That doesn't give you carte blanche to run off on every tangent, every single little side quest. Every time you see something, you know, you know, the, you know, the oh, hey, look, shiny. Oh, there's a puppy. My character has Tourette's and OCD. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not a license, you know, a license to jump track. It's encouraged to do it from time to time. Um, but don't don't be mad when they do. You know, try to be prepared for it. You know, if you're encouraging it, they're going to do it. See, this is a fine line that we game masters, because all four of us here tonight on the podcast are experienced game masters. We've all been for probably easily, what, 20 years, each of us? Hey, hey Trav, tra- Trav, real quick. I'm more of a player. I have game mastered, but I am I am the group's, I think I'm your token player. Okay. Until, until Amber shows up again. Yeah. Yeah, well, that that's why the four of us tonight, since Amber is not with us. Which is really helpful because I have the player aspect. Okay, it's a fine line between balancing between I have this plot line, I want to get to it, there is a definite campaign arc, beginning, middle, end. We find out who the big bad is, we go through all the various lieutenants and bosses, we get to the big bad and take them out, or we have this quest that we have to go through find out about the quest, learn things about it, achieve the goal. Yeah, retrieve the MacGuffin. Yes. And so you have the side quests every so often. It's a fine line between not railroading and not bouncing all over the place. Oh, let's do this adventure with no definite goal in mind. That is a fine line. That's that razor's edge that GMs tap dance because... If you bound around, after a while, your players are going to go, we're just doing this for S&G, what's going on? Is there a point to this? Railroading is one of the big cardinal sins of being a game master. So, yeah, it, it's a touch-and-go type thing. You can't have too many side quests, otherwise you're going to alienate your players. I think we have fully exhausted this topic. What do you say, guys? We got it? I agree. Before we end this podcast, I want to give a great big shout out to Mark Mark Allen Kenny of All Games Considered. He left us a comment that was, you know, it was really uh, kind of touched me. He he really liked our last podcast. So when you're listening to this, don't don't worry about which podcast it was. It's just it's a recent podcast. It, it just means that after three years, we're still very relevant. We still have fans who are very interested in our show and still think we make a big contribution to the gaming industry you know he loved it he thought it was a great a great podcast and, and there was a couple of people who commented on his comment about that it was just nice to hear a nice little feedback that we're still bringing the awesome i want to thank mark allen kenny for that that was really cool yeah thank you mark yes thank you mark yes we now get back to play testing uh, our game our fringe really game right there okay well no that that was kind of his comment he was saying that <laughs> Oh, no, it was our late campaign episode, and he was talking about how 
it gave him all these ideas that he could continue playing Fringeworthy for a much longer time now. So we actually contributed directly to his gaming session. To me, that was a big compliment. That was like a major, major compliment that we actually gave him something that he really wanted to use, and that's why that's why we're doing what we're doing. So that's right. That was that was a major, major compliment. Yeah, I mean, the main point of this whole podcast uh, originally was to develop Fringeworthy into the game we thought it always should have been, but we just didn't have the money or resources or time to put out you know the fifteen twenty supplements that it really deserved. Right. Yeah. So we would do what we could with the podcast, and I think we have. I really do. I think we have. Well, thanks, everybody who's listened to us. We're going to keep trying to bring the awesome to you week after week, but you're going to have to wait till next week. And But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.